Halloween, my favorite holiday, and it's coming up this month. I have really great memories of trick-or-treating as a kid. I was lucky to grow up in a really cool neighborhood. There were all sorts of kids my age. It was super safe. Uh, you know, you could walk the streets day and, and night, really, and I uh, knew all the neighbors and, you know, looked out for one another. It was really a cool neighborhood to grow up in, and we had a great time trick-or-treating. You know, these days, everyone's so safety conscious that Halloween has kind of lost its, its edge, its thrill, its scariness, a little bit of danger. These days, kids have to go out in, in, in like in the afternoon when it's still daylight and all this bright safety clothing and costumes. We used to go out at night in the dark in all sorts of dark costumes, wore anything we wanted. Yeah, it may have been less safe looking back in retrospect. <laughs> I'm kind of glad we survived, but we sure had a blast. And you know, we had even the stereotypical uh, house in the neighborhood that a witch was supposed to live there. It was actually some nice old woman, but at that age, you know, as a witch, we dare each other to go knock on the door and run away. So we had it all, man. We had a Halloween neighborhood. I'm so thankful to have those memories. But what is Halloween anyway? Is there a darker side indeed? Where does it come from? What's the origin or the origins of Halloween? Welcome to Fangs and Folklore. I'm your host, Matthew Miller, expert in all things monster, paranormal, and horror. I'm a horror writer from the deep, haunted swamps of Louisiana, and I welcome you to my terrifying world. Please check out my books on Amazon, beginning with Blood Feud, a punk rock vampire story. It's book one of a six-book series called The Gravediggers. The Gravediggers are a failing punk rock band who keep crossing paths with vampires, werewolves, monsters, zombies, all sorts of horrible things. It's horror comedy, it's super entertaining, and I think Amazon now has it on sale, actually. I still get the full royalty, but they sometimes their algorithm puts it on sale, so maybe, it be, maybe it's your lucky day. So take a look if you would. I'll flash it on the screen there for you, the name of the book. As is our custom here at Fangs and Folklore, we like to do a quick wine review at the beginning of every episode. Why? Because it's related to horror? Not really. I just happen to like red wine a lot. <laughs> Today's wine, and we're going to be drinking it out of the uh, skull goblet that I found here in the studios of Fangs and Folklore in the basement of the uh, abandoned castle in the middle of the haunted forest. I found this skull goblet upstairs, and I'm still not sure who left it there, but it serves its purpose pretty well. So today's wine is Tenuta di Regneri, Chianti Classico Riserva 2018. If you know anything about the Regneri family, they make a superb selection of wines, and very reasonably priced, uh, everywhere from like $18 all the way up to like uh, you know, hundreds of dollars, depending on what you want. This is their Chianti Classico Reserva. Reserva means it spends a year and a half in um, Allier French oak barrels, so that extra aging there. And uh, it's a DOCG, and it's a 2018. So four years old is not a huge aging potential for Chianti Classico. It can age a long time, depending on the grape and the, the year, the vintage, the harvest, and so forth. But it's okay. Here's what James Suckling says, who rates it a 93 out of 100. He says, dark cherries and berries with some flowers and hints of bark and mushrooms. Hmm. Medium body, round tannins and a savory finish. Nice touch of bitterness at the end. I love earthy, gamey, mushroomy wines. I'm not a big fan of the fruit bombs of the new world, although I've had some good California wine there. But yeah, I like the old school, old world, earthy wines, oaky wines. So let's see what we have here. Let's take a little sniff. <laughs> All right, on the nose, there's a the very clear aroma of of, yeah, cherries, dark cherries. I say black cherries, actually. Um, he says hint of flower. I don't detect that. All right, so let's take a sip. Oh, yeah, heavy dark fruit. Um, he says bark and mushrooms. I definitely taste some earthiness there. Some mushroom I can see in the background for sure. 
medium body, mm, round tannins. I would say it has some medium to full tannins, which I like myself. Savory finish with bitterness. I agree about the savory finish. It kind of coats your mouth. Um, bitterness, pleasant bitterness at the end. A tiny bit, but I'm not, you know, I don't detect that. I think it's excellent. It's actually a wonderful Chianti. And, um, yeah, I'm going to say that it's, that I would rate it, Fangs and Folklore, out of 10. I would give it, you know, an 8.5 out of 10. If not a 9, it's really, really nice Chianti. I imagine if you let it age another 10 years, it would be even better. So that's Tenuta de Regnieri Chianti Classico Reserva uh, 2018. Definitely highly recommended. I, I put the label up there on the screen for you to take a look at. And it's not too expensive. I think it was around $23, which is more than reasonable for this caliber of wine. Absolutely. One more little sip. Some people have asked why I slurp it and gargle it. You want it to get over entire uh, all your taste buds on your tongue, including in the back of the tongue. That's why. That's the way to, to taste wine. Okay. And you want to aspirate it so that... Um, you want it to be aerated as it goes over your tongue, and you want it to go over all of the tongue at the same time. All right. Back to Halloween. A lot of Christian churches this time of year are opposed to Halloween. And uh, back when I was religious, which, you know, I don't know, I guess I'm more of an agnostic these days. I'm not sure. <laughs> but I remember it was a big issue. Is Halloween satanic? Is it something Christians should celebrate? Or should they refrain? I knew some people who would just uh, have a, like a, the day later would buy their kids candy so they could enjoy it without having the supposed uh, dark satanic witchcraft elements. I don't know, though. Is it really evil? Is it the dead day of Satan, the holy day of the Satan worshipers? Or is it just the harmless cultural remnant that we enjoy today, especially children as they trick-or-treat? Or maybe it's both. What a weird holiday, anyway. If you ever ask yourself that, why do we do the things we do on Halloween? You know, it has a lot to do with the dead. And I mean people who have died before us, our loved ones, our ancestors. Many cultures around the world, probably most of them, I don't even know, maybe all of them in ancient times, had strong beliefs about the dead and about the afterlife, and many cultures today still do. Um, special festivities and, uh, you know, um, basically uh, special holy days to honor the dead. When I was living in uh, mainland China, I lived there for several years teaching English and had a great time. And my first place was Beijing, the capital. I remember riding my scooter home one night, and I didn't know much about Chinese culture as deeply as I do now. And I saw these people on the sidewalk burning something, little fires everywhere. What the hell? What is that about? And I asked the next day, I said, oh, that's the ghost festival where people burn ghost money. It's not real money, but it's currency, but it's money made for this purpose. They burn uh, ghost money and offer tributes to their deceased ancestors to keep them on their side for guidance, to keep them from becoming angry. Um, China also has a tomb cleaning day, Qingmingjie it's called, uh, and it's when Chinese families go to the, the graveyards of their ancestors, clean the tombs, sweep the tombs, and depending on where you're from in the region, some lots of tradition too. Sometimes the grandparents make the parents, the children, kneel down in front of the ancestors' tombs and say, you know, something to them, honor them, pray, you know, a lot of them are Buddhists. So yeah, it's very, very interesting. Um, I think of Mexico's Day of the Dead, very, very similar, right? Where they honor, they make little household altars, and they honor their deceased loved ones, and then go to the cemetery all night long and really celebrate death. Uh, look at it as a very much a part of life. Uh, and it is, isn't it? <laughs> Nothing could be more natural than birth, life, and death. I think about All Saints Day, otherwise known as All Souls Day. In my childhood, we still sometimes would go to the tombs of our ancestors, of, of, well, 
ancestors that make it seem like they're thousands of years old, but the tomb of our deceased loved ones, grandparents, great-grandparents, we would clean the tombs, place flowers on them, sometimes even have a picnic in the cemetery. seems kind of morbid, but the idea was that we honor our deceased loved ones and that death is just as close to us as it is to them, and they're not really gone. They're kind of still there with us in some sense. You may have seen in a Sulawesi island in Indonesia every three years, this group of this particular ethnic group, they dig up their dead. I mean, dig them up out of the ground, pull the corpses out, clean the corpses. By this time, their husks or bones are really just kind of shriveled, almost like mummies. Clean them up, put clothes in them, sometimes let them smoke a cigarette, put it in their mouth, light it. The things they enjoyed in life, they, they let them do that for a day. I think it's for a day. It might be a couple of days. Anyway. Yeah, they're very close to their death. They believe that, the, that those dead ones are still there with them, that there's really no difference between life and death. Then I think about uh, different uh, other traditions. Uh, Hamlet, if you're a Shakespeare fan like I am, remember the scene in Hamlet where he holds up the skull of the, the court jester who is his friend and contemplates life and death, and that's when he gives the famous speech, to be or not to be, that is the question, whether it's nobler and, the, and so forth. You know, he's thinking about killing himself. That's what to be or not to be means. And he decides, yes, and death is like a big sleep, and he says, and to dream, there's the rub. In other words, is there life after death? The roots of Halloween are ancient, and it's all about death. One theory holds that Halloween traditions, and this is a very strong theory, were influenced by Celtic harvest festivals, particularly the one called Samhain. Now, it's spelled S-A-M-H-A-I-N. It's not pronounced Samhain, as you would in English. It's pronounced Samhain. Samhain. Uh, in most of the Gaelic languages, and it has pagan roots. By the way, pagan just means, the word pagan comes from, from the uh, a Latin root, meaning the land, the countryside. Pagans were people of the land. They were the farmers, the peasants who just worked the land and had their own beliefs and religions and superstitions that predated Christianity. So we say pagan today, that's what we mean. Um, so there is, this is interesting, there's good evidence that the Celts practiced human sacrifice on a massive scale. Now, in the ancient world, human sacrifice was not really rare, to be fair. In fact, it was almost universal. Uh, the idea of sacrificing humans to appease the gods. I think about the Aztecs here in the Americas were famous for ripping out the heart, the still-beating hearts of their slaves, prisoners of war, and sometimes voluntary subjects because people were, they believed this stuff, and they thought, if I sacrifice myself to the gods, if I'm the sacrifice, then I'll really please the gods, I'll go to the afterlife, and everyone will be happy, and I'll guide my family here in this world. In fact, there's stories of Columbus trying to use, you know, his men with swords, trying to say, okay, come on, we're going to free you, the people waiting to be sacrificed, and they, they wouldn't go. They said, we want to be sacrificed. I think about the Inca also. What they did was to sacrifice young girls, teenage girls or younger. They would get them stoned and drunk for, for days and days before. They would treat them like a, like a god for the year before their sacrifice. Then they would sacrifice them. They'd, they'd uh, strangle them and then bury them. And we found the mummies, very interesting, these Inca mummies, right? They're in a little, kind of like a fetal position. In ancient China, when an emperor died, hundreds of slaves, servants, and his wives and, and you know, uh, concubines would be buried alive with the emperor. Um, if you go to China and visit some of these ancient tombs, you'll, be, you'll learn that. In ancient India, a practice called sati, when a man died, an especially important man, his body would be burned by the Ganges, the holy river, and his living widow would sit on top of the funeral pyre and be burned alive with him. Some of them did it voluntarily. They believed that they would be blessed and they would uh, go see him and that they would be reincarnated with the same husband in the next life and be rich. It was seen as a very holy thing. Some were forced and tried to get off and were forced back on with the sword.
to be burned alive. So sati, of course, it's totally illegal in modern India and doesn't, it doesn't happen anymore, although there's a couple of cases of it happening in fairly recent times, but it's off the records and it's definitely illegal. Uh, human sacrifice can be found all around the world in ancient societies, even some modern societies. It's, it's illegal everywhere now, of course. But I think about modern Mexican death cults, often related to the drug cartels, uh, where they kill people as sacrifices to, their God, to the gods they believe in. That's an example of human sacrifice that really still does happen today. So Halloween, though, it comes from Samhain, from the Celts, right? The Celts, who were the uh, indigenous, well, the people who predated the Britons and the Romans in Ireland, Scotland, and Wales, Isle of Man, Isle of Skye, and so forth. They were everywhere. Of the Celts, the Druids, whom you've probably heard of, were the priestly class, the priests, the um, intellectuals, uh, the leaders of society. They were the ones who performed sacrifices to the gods. And there is some good evidence that they did perform human sacrifice. They find a lot of these bodies in the bogs, you know, the bogs, the, the kind of peaty, marshy uh, land up there in northern UK, which preserves bodies very well. They dig up some of these and they look like they died yesterday, right, when they're really hundreds or thousands of years old. And so recent evidence has come to light. Um, the Romans, by the way, absolutely always said that the Celts, the Druids, practiced human sacrifice. They, uh, you know, I think Julius Caesar was the first one to visit, visit, <laughs> to go up there with the Celts in 55 BC. This is when he wrote the Gallic Wars. And um, they would come back with these stories and said, you know, they, they kill humans as a sacrifice just by the, by the masses. Uh, here's what Julius Caesar said, translated into English, of course. He, he would have said it in Latin. He said that uh, they, the Celts, believe that the gods delight in the slaughter of prisoners and criminals, and when the supply of captives runs short, they sacrifice even the innocent. And there may have been volunteers as well. We know in some of these ancient societies, like I said, people volunteered to be the sacrifice, seeing it as a very holy act. Right? Um, Pliny the Elder, who lived in the first century, uh, actually... He said that the Celts practiced ritual cannibalism, eating their enemy's flesh as a source of strength. Now, cannibalism has existed all over the world, still exists today in some areas, especially the Amazon, but it's not like you think. It wasn't like the wholesale banqueting on human bodies, just ripping out their organs, like some of the movies, Cannibal Holocaust, that kind of thing. It was ritual. A little piece you would eat of the person who's deceased, who's your ancestor, believing they would become a part of you forever, a literal physical part of you and a spiritual part forever. So the Celts uh, had that kind of practice. Uh, the Celts did not have a written record, a written language as far as we know. Uh, and so um, we found these bog people. Recently, uh, they found a, a man they call Lindo Man, based on where he was found, discovered, well, this, I say recently, the 1980s, okay, well, it's the most recent strong evidence. He was 2,000 years old, and he was the victim of sacrifice. He, uh, his head had been smashed in, and he had been strangled, and have his throat cut. Like, wow, triple threat. <laughs> so, um, and what would happen is something that an archaeologist, let's see, Miranda Aldhouse Green, uh, from Cardiff University in Wales, an expert on the Druids, said that they would do something called a fountain of blood. Quote, you've got a rope tightened around his neck. At the moment where the neck was constricted, the throat was cut, which would cause an enormous fountain of blood to rise up. Close quote. That was seen as a proper sacrifice to the gods. The blood would water the ground, and they believed it would help the crops. Also, the uh, Lindo man, his body in his stomach found some mistletoe grains. That was a sacred plant to the Druids, a holy plant. If he would have eaten it, it would have, mean he was, would have meant he was being prepared for a sacrifice. 
Uh, he was a nobleman, a rich, wealthy man. Whether he went voluntarily or not, we do not know. Uh, he didn't have much of a choice. So he died around 60 AD. Okay. Anyway, uh, he was almost certainly sacrificed to stop the Romans because in 60 AD is when the Romans uh, had a second campaign into the area to conquer the Celts. And so um, that, that same uh, archaeologist, um, Althaus Green, says, quote, something had to be done to stop them in their tracks, and what better way than sacrificing a high-status nobleman, close quote. Yeah. So uh, Julius Caesar also said, quote, about the Celts, unless the life of a man be offered, the mind of the immortal gods will not favor them, close quote. So this is fangs and folklore, Halloween. Why are we talking about human sacrifice up to now and death? Well, they're certainly related, okay? So we mentioned the ancient Druids, the Celts, had the harvest festival called Samhain. Um, it's pronounced Samhain, like I said. It marked the end of the harvest and the beginning of winter, which they called the dark period. So think about winter, right? You live in a soci an ancient society. You don't understand everything about nature that we do today, scientifically speaking. But you see the cycle, right? It's kind of like uh, nature is born in the spring. Uh, the summer is like the, the days of its youth and its, its highlight, you know, the, the midterm, mid, uh, middle age. Uh, fall, it's becoming older, it's declining, and winter, it dies. In northern climates, like the Celts lived in, think about winter. All the plants die, the animals disappear, it freezes. It would have seemed for sure that the world was dead, right? Nature was very much, quite literally, dead. Nothing uh, was born, nothing grew, nothing thrived in the dark winter. And so basically the Druids believed that they had to appease their gods, kind of convince the gods to bring back life in the spring to the world. One way that they did that was the massive human sacrifice and sacrifice of cattle, because cattle were, were very valuable. Um, so the idea is that the gods kill the nature, and you have to convince them to bring nature back in the spring, and if you sacrifice enough people, they're happy, and nature comes back in the spring, plants grow again, everything is reborn. This is also uh, a big important part of the idea of reincarnation, which the, the Celts and many other societies believe in. They look at nature, uh, you, you're born, you live, you die, everything's dead, you, then in spring everything comes back again, so they reason, why not with humans then, right? we born, we live, we die. Just like in nature, though, we will come back again reincarnated. So it's very deep, uh, this kind of thought. So um, yeah, the bog people, right, is evidence of this. Now. Um, we believe that, uh, for sure, Samhain originated in pre-Christian times, in ancient pagan times, like we said. Mm, lots of feasts, banqueting at the time, and they would open up burial mounds, believe that these were portals to the, uh, to the other, other dimension, the spirit world, the realm where, our deceased, where deceased people live, where you know, the dead live there, as do uh, spirits. And, and also, uh, Samhain... Is, is related to the other holiday, another holiday called Beltane, I think is how you pronounce it, was a festival where they believed that the boundary, the veil between our world and the spirit world was the thinnest. And that the, and my, my pronunciation of Gaelic is not good, the Alshi, I don't know if that's pronouncing it right, AOS, second word, SI, translated to spirits, and we might translate that to fairies, could come into our world. I found this interesting in a side. Many scholars believe that the fairies, these, these legends of the you know, magical creatures, were actually references to the pagan gods they believed in before the Christians came. Kind of, they kept them on as fairies. Anyway, 
at Samhain, uh, they were appeased, right? You offered drink, you offered food and drink as uh, a sacrifice, an offering, and then also, of course, you had <laughs> some real sacrifices. They also thought that their ancestors would come home to revisit them for that, that day and that they would eat. And so they'd live, leave uh, a place at the table with food offerings for the, for the dead person who would come back. Mm, also, uh, they practiced these plays where the people would dress up in masks and act out holy plays called mumming. And then guising, they would actually trick-or-treat. Uh, they would dress in, um, in scary costumes like evil spirits, and they would go sing from house to house, and they would share gifts. So that's the origin of trick-or-treating. Now, the costumes um, may have had two purposes. One may have been to scare evil spirits away and keep them away. Two, uh, maybe to fit in like the evil spirits, fit in with them, you know, so that the evil spirits wouldn't know that you were a human, or maybe both. If you've seen the movie Shaun of the Dead, which is a horror comedy, maybe you remember they want to get through the zombies, so they walk like zombies and pretend they're zombies, and the zombies don't notice them. Pretty funny. But this is the similar kind of thing. The costumes, the masks, were meant to be scary. There's a cave in Ireland called the Cruachan Cave, again, pronunciation, C-R-U-A-C-H-A-N, was believed and still is believed by people with neo-pagan beliefs to be the portal from the underworld or the afterworld or the spirit world into our world. And on Samhain and Beltane, uh, for the Kruakan Cave is where the spirits would come into our world. And it's still there today. You can go there, peek in, if you, if you dare. <laughs> now, this is interesting. Like the Jewish day today, Jew, Jewish people count the day as sunset to sunset. Okay, in the Western popular world culture, we consider a day to begin at sunrise to end at sunset. But, or to end technically at sunrise the next day, but the Jews and the Celts as well uh, believe that the day begins at sundown and proceeds to the next sundown, which is why uh, today the Sabbath for Jewish people is sundown Friday to sundown Saturday, right? Okay, so they, their Samhain occurred on November 1st, our November 1st, the Celts, but to them that would have been October 31st evening, sunset, to the sunset of November 1st, which is why we have Halloween on October 31st, the day before, which to them was the same day. Now, in the 9th century, the Catholic Church sent out um, missionaries to convert the pagans, right? And we think we all know how that went and what they did to convert them, but uh, the Catholic Church made November 1st to be All Saints Day, All Souls Day, when when Christians would remember the dead and, and you know, basically... Uh, just keep them in, in mind and remember our own mortality. Many scholars believe that this was one of many accommodations that the church made to pre-Christian pagan beliefs because these, these pagans would not give up their, their traditions and beliefs. In fact, many a missionary was killed because he tried to change them. So the Catholic Church Christianized them and said, okay, uh, if they're not going to give up Halloween, let's call it All Souls Day, or not going to give up Samhain, let's call it All Souls Day where we remember our dead loved ones, visit their graves, and welcome them to our world for the day. Sounds suspiciously just like Samhain, doesn't it? Because it was. It was Christianized. So modern Halloween is a cultural continuation, perhaps a remnant or both, of the ancient Celtic Druidic festival of Samhain. It included massive human sacrifice, animal sacrifice, to beg the gods to bring back life in the spring, and the belief that the veil between our world and the spirit world uh, is the thinnest at that time. Um, spirits, ancestors, fairies, magical creatures, good spirits, evil spirits. 
Uh, Trick-or-treating, like we mentioned, it's about uh, the idea of dressing in scary masks to scare off evil spirits and or to make them believe you were one of them so they'd leave you alone. So Halloween costumes are meant to be terrifying and scary. Uh, kind of kind of precludes things like the sexy nurse outfit. Uh, but well, I'm not complaining about it. I'm just gonna, don't get me wrong. I'm just saying that traditionally Halloween is for scary costumes, for frightening things, evil spirits, right? Bonfires are another ancient Samhain tradition that continue to today. In fact, in the UK, a lot of people have bonfires on Samhain evening. And then there's a lot of evidence that human sacrifices, meaning burnt offerings to the gods, occurred at these bonfires. Think of the Wicker Man. If you've seen the Wicker Man movie from, I think it was in the 60s, right, or the 70s, uh, great movie. By the way, the modern Nicolas Cage adaptation is terrible. He uh, cages out during the movie. You know how in every movie Nick Cage is in, he kind of freaks out and goes crazy at some scene. His his version, you know, no offense to him, he's great, but it's terrible. Watch the original version if you can. It's a fantastic, wonderful horror movie. So the Wicker Man was a Celtic practice also, where they built a giant human figure out of wicker. And uh, uh, Julius Caesar said that we would they would use this as a sacrifice. Uh, the, the Gallic Wars, the commentary in the Gallic Wars that he wrote, he said that a giant wickerwork figure with limbs, so it, it was a human torso with limbs and legs, sometimes with a, uh, another, like a, a shield or a weapon in its hand, you know, a giant, hundreds of feet tall, uh, and that they would put people inside of it, slaves, criminals, war captives, and sometimes people who were innocent uh, if they didn't have enough of the criminals, or, like we said, sometimes maybe volunteers, that they would set it on fire and everyone in it would burn, be burned alive. Pretty gruesome, right? Mm, and then the ashes would be spread on the ground to help the crops grow. This spreading of the ashes to help the crops go grow, again, reminds us that they were trying to appease the gods, trying to coax them to please bring back spring, bring back life, let us be born again. So we put this, the ashes on the ground. Moreover, the burning of the wicker man represents the same thing, right? It's in a human form, an effigy, and what you're doing is burning, dying, burning, so that you can be risen again. So it's the, the, the end, of, end of life, winter, being burned up so that you can be reborn in the spring, both people and nature and the harvest. Now, there's a darker side to modern Halloween. Some people who worship demons and practice dark magic take Halloween as a holy day because of the very fact that it's the thinnest, the veil is the thinnest between the two worlds. Now, if you go back to the episodes of Fangs and Folklore, I did a short series on the 1980s Satanic Panic. In that series, I distinguish between Satanists and Luciferians. Satanists today, the Church of Satan, is about free will and how you conduct yourself, and also makes political points. Like when I think it's brilliant, actually. Like when a, a group will say, we want the Ten Commandments uh, uh, put in front of this public courthouse, which is public funds, which is absolutely against the Constitution. Well... The Satanists will say, okay, if they do it, we want it too. We want a statue of Baphomet there, and the, the government has to do it because you can't choose one religion over the other. Once you cross the line at a state-run religion, then you got to allow all of them. I personally think it's brilliant because it teaches a lesson, anyway, about church uh, and state separation. Luciferians worship a literal Satan and literal demons. I've known a few Luciferians in my time. I um, was able to speak to them a little about their beliefs and practices, and Many Luciferians do make animal sacrifices on Halloween. Uh, occasional rare human sacrifices too, but, you know, very secretive about that, of course. Like the Celts, they believe the veil is the thinnest the night of October 31st. Unlike the Celts, who tried to avoid the evil spirits 
these people desire to commune with them, to ask them favors, boons, and uh, in exchange for sacrifice and bloodletting. So it's very dark. For that reason, I always strongly recommend keep your pets inside on Halloween because there are unscrupulous people who will steal pets and sacrifice them to their gods and demons, especially black cats. So if you have a pet, keep them in on Halloween night. Just do that. Uh, you know, it's, 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 you're, you may be saving their lives. I've always wondered why Halloween in particular has survived from a very ancient pre-Christian um, concept to a pretty big holiday in the Western world. Not all the ancient holidays have survived at all. I think I have an answer. What uh, is more on the mind of human beings than death? Right? You know, we, we, life is just so, so weird. We, uh, we're born, we have these hard lives full of trouble, interspersed with some times of joy, good and bad. We have people we love, you know, in this world. We have passions that we pursue. We have lofty goals we strive to reach. We have our careers. We have, you know, thought and philosophy, all this stuff. And then one day, when we're least expecting it, we just cease to exist. We just die. You could cross the street, get smacked by a truck, or die in your sleep. It's just bizarre. And to me, it's almost darkly comical, like there's a big joke behind the universe. But all this life, and then one day you just die, and that's it. So, of course, we all think about death in one way or another. Even winter, like we said, nature reminds her, uh, us that uh, we're going to die, our own mortality. Nature freezes, or in Louisiana here, becomes slightly cooler, <laughs> subtropical climate. So we all are going to die, and we naturally wonder what happens then, if anything, to be or not to be. What dreams may come? There's the rub. Do we just cease to exist forever? A void? That terrifies me, to be honest with you. Do we live on in some other form, some other state of energy, uh, other manner of reality, another universe? Do we reincarnate and live another human life? I personally hope that is the case. I like that theory, but we, we can't know until it happens, right? And so, of course, we keep alive a holiday, keep alive, pun not intended, a holiday that recognizes death, that makes death a part of life, that remembers our deceased loved ones, that opens a possibility, even if just for a night, that there is another world where we live on, where we do not die, and where death is not the end. So it's a very important holiday. It's my favorite holiday of the year, not just because I love horror, but I also love the, the symbolism behind it in this ancient, ancient uh, practice, you know, it's amazing to me. I'd love to hear your thoughts on Halloween and its origins and the reasons that we keep it alive thousands of years later. Please leave your comments here on YouTube. If you're listening to Podbean or another fine podcasting site, uh, please email me. I'm going to flash it on the screen. It's matthew.miller.writer, W-R-I-T-E-R at gmail.com. That's matthew.miller.writer at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. Please like and subscribe, and uh, thank you for being part of the Fangs and Folklore dysfunctional family. Uh, I'm going to, by the way, October 21st through 23rd, I'll be at Scarefest, which is a huge horror convention that occurs once a year in Lexington, Kentucky. I'll have a booth there selling, vending my books. Uh, if you're going, stop by, say hi. I don't, I forget the booth number, but I'll, I'll uh, it's not hard to find. Uh, so I'll, I'll be looking forward to that. If I don't see you then before Halloween, if I don't make another episode, which I may, I wish you a happy Halloween. Contemplate death and life. Remember that those you love who are gone are, are never really that far from, from you, from us, right? Uh, sounds like the castle ghosts are gearing up for Halloween too, so I'm going to go ahead and leave uh, and go home where it's safe. So thanks for watching, and as always, sleep well if you can.